Hey everyone, welcome to the Sacred Space Podcast. My name is Gina Stockton and I'm so excited that you are here today. My guest is Juliana Wakeling, a dear friend of mine, amazing woman of God who has such a powerful story. I think that you are going to be encouraged, maybe challenged, and I want to speak to you if you have experienced loss you have walked through grief and things that are hard and hard to explain. Uh, Juliana's story is going to encourage you, is going to give you permission to be exactly where you are and to receive God's presence in that place. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this time in the sacred space. Hi, Juliana. Hi, Gina. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, so thanks for having me. We met because I was brought in during a transition to consult with a church who was going through losing their worship pastor and their pastor, not for any horrible, scandalous thing. They just moved on, felt led by the Lord to move to Nashville and mm -hmm. we're in California. And you are the chair of the overseer board there. And so yes. as I came in to come alongside the staff and the worship team and the congregation during this transition, um, that's how we met. I'm just so grateful. I feel like you're a huge gift and I'm grateful for your friendship. I know we were talking earlier with how it's never about just the thing you think it's about, you know, mm -hmm. and even me coming to help, which I know I've been walking with Jesus long enough and been in ministry long enough to know it's never just about what I can bring. It's about <laughs> what I can receive. And you're definitely one of the gifts that Aww, I've received here. So thank you. I feel I really, the same. I really appreciate you. I just uh, have so much respect for you as a, a woman of God and a believer and just your walk with him and your obedience to step into a position that honestly in the church is a hard one where, I mean, there's a lot more acceptance and affirmation of women in leadership roles. Um, but it's still hard and it still can be challenging and to be like an overseer role and to be the chair, you know, and that's a volunteer position. That's a whole nother thing. We'll talk about that. So, but I just have a lot of respect. I've watched you in that role and how you lead. Um, so dependent and surrendered and really seeking the Lord's will and you want him to be the king. I just have a lot of respect for how I've watched you lead, how I've watched you care for the staff. Um, you've really shepherded and cared for and loved them in a really powerful way. And you don't see that as often in churches from leadership. So I just really appreciate that in you. Thank you. We'll probably talk about a lot of things, okay. but maybe start with your story okay. and whatever you're comfortable sharing. Well, um, I grew up in the Midwest, so I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, and um, my parents divorced when I was two. So I was born in St. Louis, but we lived in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And um, when my parents divorced, my mom moved us back to St. Louis. So I have never lived in the same state as my dad, oh. except when I moved to California to go to college, but he lived in Northern California. And I lived in, I went to Cal Poly Pomona. So my parents had been married and divorced quite a few times before I was in junior high. So that was really difficult as a kid. And it, it can be hurtful to my parents if I talk about it. So it's really interesting because yeah. they were the adults making the decisions. But I was the kid 
trying to navigate life yeah, 100%. through those decisions. Yeah. Um, but I never want to hurt my parents. So I've tried to say, like, I'm okay, but I don't always think they understand. So I think out of that and watching the dynamics of my family, um, I had an older sister. She's five years older than me, get in a lot of trouble. So I became this young woman who wanted to please my parents. I never yeah. wanted to disappoint anyone. And so I live my life in this way of trying to always do the right things and to make sure I cared about the people around me and how my actions affected the people around me, Mm. which is a great attribute. Right. It's a really heavy one to carry. Yeah. Well, when it becomes your identity, right? It becomes my identity. Like it was like a, a good girl does these things. Yeah. And not that my sister was a bad girl, but my sister was making choices that when you do these things, this is what happens. Yeah. And it hurts the people around you. And yeah. so I can have this conversation with my sister, which is so cool because we can talk like, you ruffled the feathers and I smoothed them. <laughs> That's good. And she's like, yeah, yeah and, you know. So um, so that transferred into just life. Like I was, I think, still the only sibling in my family that graduated from college. I took this older sibling role, but I was the Literally the baby in my immediate family. It worked for me for a long time. I always, always could get the job I wanted. I could accomplish the things I wanted because I just did the right things. And I was very skeptical of marriage and having kids because my experience was marriage doesn't work. Yeah. And you can't trust men. Yeah. Because I saw my dad, my dad hurt my stepmom and I saw my stepdad hurt my mom I saw a lot of pain, and so I was yep. like, if I never get married, I'm cool with that. I never want to do make choices that hurt somebody, so maybe kids is just not something. Maybe I'll just have a career. I definitely wasn't a woman that went to college to get her MRS degree. I got my degree in biology. I was going to do something. I've never heard that before. (laughs) The Mrs. My MRS degree. Amazing. The Mrs. degree. Yeah. Hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah, so when I met Dave... I actually, when I was in college, I dated someone um, for four years, and we got engaged, and we were going to get married. And the month before our wedding, after the invitations were out, I was like, "Uh, I don't think I can do this. And I called off my wedding. Wow. And so I just established kind of this perception with people that I was really strong. Mm. I was a strong person. Yeah. Because most women wouldn't have done that I guess I yeah to me it was like how stupid am I gonna be if I go through this marriage I'm gonna end up divorced and I don't want to be divorced and so I just called it off so I was working two jobs and going to school and I met Dave who's now my husband and he had just gone through a divorce I think with my history and Dave's family had like the beaver cleaver type of family yeah mom and dad had been married forever and he got along with his sister and and it seemed all perfect and I was very attracted yeah to that stability we have very similar because I was the same way I grew up like I don't want anything to do with marriage because everybody my parents were never married it was a mess all of my friends parents were divorced and like no thank you not gonna do it and then yeah when I met my husband and his parents had been married for like for 30 years or probably 30 years at that time, you know, and right. I just remember, wow. And his dad still called his mom his bride and they were, you know, had three kids. Like it just was like, wow, look at that. You know, It's very attractive yeah. if yeah. you've never seen it done well. But Dave's parents were like out here 
had been married. Dave's dad was like a an elder in the church, and he founded mm. the Long Breeds Prayer Breakfast. And he was doing great things with his relationship with God. Yeah. And I just, growing up Catholic, I didn't see that as much. And then I start dating this Protestant man yeah. and his family. They don't drink, and they don't cuss, and they don't smoke. And I was kind of nervous for his family to meet my family, yeah, <laughs> if yeah, I'm yeah. honest. And I, um, and I think because of that thing that I developed early, oh, a good Christian would do all these things. So and works-based. Faith. It was very works-based, and it was appearance-based. It wasn't about my heart. My heart was hurting. Didn't really recognize it because, I like those choices that were made, I was doing something different for myself. So it started building this place where... I decided, well, when I get married and I have my own kids, I'm going to have normal. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Because I've done all the right things, so everything will go well for me. And now I know this Jesus in a new way. I I wasn't living a life that was like surrendered to Jesus. It was more like, oh, I believe in Jesus, and he forgives my sins, and I just live my life, right? It wasn't like this... I want to know him. It wasn't a relationship. Right. Yeah, it right. was an intimate relationship. Yeah. When we had our first child, um, he would be 22 this year, we had Brendan. And then when I'm pregnant, we get he gets diagnosed with a condition called hydrocephalus. And, um, and then we have a baby, and it's like hospitalizations and brain surgery mm-hmm. and seizures. And like the first couple years of his life was just one thing after another. Wow. And it would be like, oh, all the Christians would pray for us, and Brendan would need surgery. And then, oh, well, after four months, oh, there's too much pressure in his brain. He really does need surgery. Or, mm. oh, we prayed, and his seizures are better. And then he'd start having them again. And yeah. so there was a lot of, I'm that good person that does all the right things. Yeah, I've been taught now. And the enemies come in and solidified that if you do the right things, it goes well for you. Yeah. <laughs> and if you know Jesus and you want to be to behave like you know Jesus, things will go well for you. Yeah. And now I'm like thinking I'm living my best life and I have finally have a kid. And it's like tragedy after tragedy <laughs> yeah. after tragedy. Let down after let down mm-hmm. after let down. And so I got to this place of, Jesus, if you're real, I either am really bad or you don't love me. Yeah. And I know there's a whole lot in between there, but I was in a really dark place and my kid was super hard. God's like, no, there's a whole, you don't know me. So I had to learn him. I like knew him. I knew of him. About him. I knew him in my head, and I knew him in my heart, but the two were totally disconnected. So I had Logan, who is my 17-year-old in 2004. When I had Logan, Brendan's behavior got even worse because now we had competition. So life got really difficult. And around 2006, he became super difficult and had all these behaviors, and his frustration level was really high. When Logan was born, Brennan was four and a half. He didn't walk. Mm. He didn't talk. Yeah. He needed, like, I had a baby. Yeah. And I had a baby. Yeah. And I've never been an anxious person in my life, but during my pregnancy, I was so anxious because I worked full-time at that point. Wow. Still doing my career. And 
I thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to work full time and take this kid to therapy all the time, take him to all his doctor's appointments, yeah. and have a baby with no sleep? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, um, so Brendan's behavior got even worse, and I tried to control him, and he responded with, you're not going to control me. Yeah, right. <laughs> and he, he couldn't help it. A lot of his behaviors couldn't help. Yeah. And so I just got to this place where I hit such darkness, and I didn't like my kid. Yeah. I felt like a terrible mother. I had so much anger because I couldn't control anything. Yeah. And my life fell out of control, and I've waited my whole life to have this perfect family, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so um, my faith crumbled. Yeah. It just kind of fell apart. It kept falling apart a little bit at a time with um, Brendan's health issues because I was fearful for his life. And then his behavior was making my life hell on earth. Right. And so now you've got this girl who's Mm -hmm. grown into a woman, but her whole faith is built around being a good. And I hate my life. I don't like my kid. I would dream about running away from home. Yeah. And I would think I can't do that to Dave. Hmm. And so I knew instinctually, I can't do this by myself, and I don't want Dave to have to do that this by himself. So, so it took me down a journey of, Lord, who are you? And if you're real, you got to show me something, because right now I kind of want to get off this journey, because it just feels hard. Yeah. Because as a Christian, you want to be a person that the world sees differently. But as a human, when your life's hard, you just don't want to have to answer to anything else, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I was constantly in that struggle of I knew I should do things differently, but I didn't have the capability because I didn't know how to be transformed by God. I just tried to be obedient to him. Yeah. Okay. Let's just stop you right there (sighs) for a moment. Yeah. Um, Oh, there's so much there. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for being so vulnerable and transparent because I think the shame alone stops parents who are in your shoes from being honest with themselves or anybody else. And when you can't find a safe place to speak those things that Mm -hmm. you're experiencing and feeling, then you aren't going to be in a place to receive healing for those things Mm -hmm. and it will destroy you. Yeah. You know, it was Um, destroying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because all that turns into self-hatred and everything, Mm -hmm. you know, just it, it, the spiral continues. And, you know, I talk a lot on the podcast about works-based versus, Mm -hmm. you know, relationship. But I love that you're bringing out the difference between obedience and transformation. Mm -hmm. And obedience has to be a response to the intimacy. Mm -hmm. If you start with the obedience, you're living in a shame. I need to prove something, right? Mm -hmm. That's, and, um, and I feel like that's just the trap. I feel like that's the grandest lie of the enemy, Mm -hmm. right? Is, is to get us in that place where, we somehow in our own strength can do something to mm-hmm. make us worthy, mm-hmm. which we deep down just know we can't. <laughs> so it's a very vicious cycle, right? Right. Um, and then that becomes a barrier, a mm-hmm. wall, a stronghold that mm-hmm. hinders our our access to mm-hmm. that intimate, intimate, loving, safe place, which mm-hmm. is God's presence. Like that, our fight's not flesh and blood. It's the darkness and principalities of this world. But yeah. The enemy works through fresh and blood, yeah, right? Because he uses people around us to, we have this like attractant on us to shame. Yeah. And then we finally admit to someone, I'm struggling, I don't like my kid. And 
you're in a Bible study and then someone says like, um, well, my kids are just my whole life. <laughs> and I've never even thought I wanted kids, right? Yeah. And then it's just furthers like that lie of you're not a very good person. Yeah. And what mother would ever think, right. I don't like my kid right now. Like one time I was at, my mom was visiting. I was talking about a neighbor that favored one of her daughters over the other. And I was like, Mom, it's just so hard to watch. And she goes, well, you're kind of being kind of judgmental. Like, um, I love all my kids the same, but I have a special place in my heart for you. And she said, you're the only kid, one of my kids that hasn't broken my heart. Oh, gosh. Okay, wow. so she meant it in a beautiful way. Like, you've always tried to do the right thing. And I see that in you. So she at one point validates me but at the same time it's like okay so I have broken God's heart oh wow right it's so hard to see when you're in it why you're struggling or why you tick the way you tick and then as you walk with Jesus Holy Spirit and Father God and he he brings light into that then it's like oh that makes so much more sense yeah and just loving my mom my mom meant well I do have a special connection with my mom yeah and I have always been her buddy the enemy's not really, I don't think so smart. He's just tricky. Yeah, like he yeah, uses good. tricky stuff to like yeah. keep you set apart from who you really are as God's daughter. Right. It becomes about performing for God, being obedient to God. And so now your heart doesn't have a place to be transformed because it's right. under that burden. There's a, like when people talk about familiar spirits, you know, that's where that comes from. They become, it becomes a very familiar space right? and it becomes this uh, perceived safety because it's familiar, Mm -hmm. right? So this, I'm just going to live here because this is what I know. Right. But again, that very thing we think is creating safety is the very thing that's keeping us from the healing that we so desperately need. Right. So, so then, yeah. So how did we go from there to how, how, what was that transformation like? And how did you get to a place where you could receive the love of God? A couple of different things happened. First, I go to Mountain View Church. Our pastor, Todd Radarmal, was not afraid of bringing in things that were maybe a little more, I mean, I, I know, I've never used this word, but it's been used so much. I'm going to steal it. Fringe of Christianity. <laughs> I was always like, yeah. but he let Dr. Charles Kraft come speak at our church. And he started speaking about spiritual warfare and how we have this enemy. And to be honest, I almost left Mountain View after Dr. Kraft came to speak because growing up Catholic, first of all, you never talk about spiritual warfare. They don't talk about it. It's like exorcism, right? Yeah. So we don't talk about it. It's something really scary. And you don't talk about it. So that someone was making it normal to talk about demons and how we have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. Yeah. It just freaked me out. Yeah. And I don't like fear at all. So some, I'm afraid of something. I'm just like, no, I'm not doing that. Yeah. Right. At the same time, though, right around the same time, um, Jean Swanberg was going to Dr. Kraft and he, she did some sessions with them. And so she was starting in her healing ministry at our church. And she also gave me this book by Francine Rivers called Redeeming Love. I identified with Angel, like to a T, the shame she felt feeling like God was Angel, a character in the book. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, she's the main character. She's the prostitute in the book. Mm -hmm. Michael Hoseo marries her. Yeah. And she's a prostitute. Mm -hmm. And she does not know God. 
she knows about God, but it's like this God that wants in the sky that wants to smite you, right? Yeah. And he loves God and he's been transformed by him and everything he does in his life, he's totally obedient to God, but it comes from this love. It's like transformed him. I do not relate to that at all. I'm obedient, right? Right. And so she all she sees is her failures. And I and all this shame and how she's never going to be someone God loves. Like yeah. he loves Michael Hosea because Michael Hosea has done all the right things. Yeah. So this internal judgment that I place on myself, this internal hatred I have towards myself for not being able to live up to this thing I've developed in me over the years. Okay, something's wrong with me. Yeah. I've never been a prostitute. <laughs> I haven't sinned in a way that's like inexcusable right yeah from a from a christian christian perspective yeah and so to identify with a prostitute and feel the same shame she feels literally i was weeping while i was reading this book because i identified with her and i i could feel her shame Mm -hmm. in my heart dave's like are you almost done with that book i just want you to be happy again (laughs) but i loved the book i could not put it down Mm -hmm. and i reread it because it was, it was God was using something so interesting on this Christian romance novel, basically, <laughs> to start my healing process. That's such a beautiful demonstration of Jesus. Like Jesus, there's this loving, intimate way he meets us and uses sometimes the most ridiculous things to just kind of woo us in and, and bring us close. And I love that, like a cheesy Christian romance novel is what he used to say, I see you, Julia, I see you. She has this dream and she sees like this man in white. She's like covered with sores and stuff. And then he's walking towards her and all of her like yuck goes onto him and she's Mm. broken hearted. He wants to take all of her sores and all of her wounds and all of her dirtiness and all of her shame he takes it on himself but then he still becomes white again yeah and I remember thinking I want that Hmm. I want that and she she accepts Jesus in the book and it starts to transform her yeah and then she uses her pain and her sin and her mistakes to actually help other women get out of prostitution yeah so it becomes now all of a sudden wait Jesus used her for his glory. Yeah. In her and she she was a prostitute. <laughs> and well, so it's I'm not like, even just the identity of prostitute. Yeah. It's, it's she use she uses her wounds. Right, right. And her scars. So right. so and that's redemption. Right. So like I think we don't we don't we underestimate the power and the depth and breadth of what redemption actually totally. is. Totally. And it's not just being loved, it's not just being saved, it's not just being healed, but it's also taking all of the ugly yeah, and now tr- now utilizing that and transforming that. Right, exactly. It's not just hiding it, it's not just erasing right. it, it's actually changing it and changing redeeming it. it. Right. And that's the thing that I think we sometimes, that's right. one of the things that we lose sight of. Right. And so I'm, I'm going to speak to that person that walked like me, that was just trying to be obedient. So it started with the step that if he can even transform a prostitute, he can transform me. Yeah. But we have to break through that right. sometimes. So like, 
I think um, when you look at the disciples, like he transformed a betrayer. Mm-hmm. He transformed Saul was murdering other Christians. He transformed a murderer. Yeah. Like if he can do that, right? Whatever you think you've just goodness keeps you separated from God. It was that that broke down. But now I could be like. Wow, he like he takes a prostitute and makes her beautiful. It doesn't like I don't even think poorly anymore of other people that have sinned worse than me. That's how much God's redeemed me. But right. back then I had to rate it. Like, yeah, you have to the even sin, accept the sin, it. Yeah, the yeah. sin scale. Yeah, like oh I I've, I haven't done that. Oh, but I didn't. Right. And right. So we're just yeah. Idiots, it's just it's funny. yeah. It's so and that's what when we were setting up I said what do you think. Do you think that comes from religion that we do that to each other? Or is it our human nature? And I think as we're talking it out, I realize it's that deep thing in us that only God can fill that he puts there so we long for him. But unless we're willing to let him fill it, we will always need to be validated. Yeah. And then that through that validation, now we could become like a Pharisee where they were like well, that can't be the Messiah because he's not doing all the right things, you know? Right, so you right. got to break down that Pharisee within your own self and yeah, let, that's good. let God fill it. But anyway, so I love that because it is, it's like what redemption truly looks like. But in the process, sometimes God even gives you that space to have to rank, <laughs> rank stuff so he can get to the broken, my, the deep wound was I could never live up to my own expectations. So I felt unworthy of his love. So I kept trying to earn it. And I had never been taught, I have this God that loves me so much, I can trust him, even with my worst mistakes. Yeah. I have been taught to be obedient to him. Well, when you're just trying to be obedient to a God that you have been taught is just waiting to smite you. Yeah. Or you've developed in your own mind. And then it's reinforced by the way the world operates. It's really hard to keep being obedient to somebody you don't trust. Yeah. So you try so Good. hard, and then when you get pooped out, it's just like, why even bother? Yeah. Because I can't live up to this expectation. And I don't even know if this guy's really that great. Yeah. Because this just feels hard. The real transformation started happening, and the real redemption started happening. I was sitting on the floor like this. I'm facing the toilet. Brendan, please just go pee-pee on the potty. Yeah. And he's screaming, ah, in my face. And I'm like, I don't want to do this anymore, Lord. I I just don't want to do this. I don't want to be a special needs mom. I don't want this. And he's like, Juliana, quit asking me to take it away and ask what you need to get through the day. Hmm. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to take it away. So you can keep fighting me, and it's going to feel like this, or you can try it my way. So I only gave in out of desperation. And then he's like, you're so angry. Anger's not who you are. You're my daughter. Love is who you are. Give me your anger, and let me turn it into love. So externally, I'm now going... I love you so much, buddy. If you just go pee-pee on the putty, Mommy, I'll play with you. <laughs> Inside, I'm like, shut up. Go to the bathroom. But I'm subduing. I'm surrendering. I'm laying at the feet of my Heavenly Father, my anger, mm-hmm. and saying, I'm not anger anymore. I'm love. So I'm practicing love. Well, the anger was up here. And the love was like at rock bottom. And eventually, as I trusted him, 
that he was going to do something. And I was obedient because I, he's like, you have to learn to trust me. I don't yeah. care about your obedience. I only want you to trust me. But I start being obedient to what he's asking me to do. Ask what you need to get through the day. The anger starts to diminish and the love starts to grow. And I start to change. I don't feel so angry anymore. Yeah. I don't feel so mad that this is what he's asked me to carry. And that the love starts to diminish. Yeah. So I want to back up really quick because... It sounded like you were contradicting and you weren't. Um, So I want to bring some clarity. So you've lived this life of just trying to be obedient and do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But by obedience, that's be a good person. Be, you know, like you're going to cross all the T's, dot all the I's. This is what, here's the list of what a good Christian looks like. And so I'm going to do my best to be that. And I have, and I've been successful at that. And yet here I am. Yeah. And so you're in this place of desperation. You're in this place of, I can't do this anymore. Right. And God starts having a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to take this away. Ask me what you need. You Mm -hmm. know, so you're having this rest, you're wrestling with him. Mm -hmm. And finally, he says you're angry and he leads you. Now he's asking something of you. So this kind of obedience is different. Totally. This is obedience to the heart of the father mm-hmm. saying, will you trust me? Because mm-hmm. you, you made the statement, yeah. I don't care about your obedience, but this is a different type of obedience, right? right? And yeah. the motivation is different. So yeah. now you're living out what o- the invitation of what obedience actually right. is, which is excruciating, but transformative. Right. And does require, like you said, that trust mm-hmm. because you haven't been in a place of trusting the father and that he's good. And all of that, I don't feel love Mm -hmm. right now, but okay, I hear your voice and I'm going to, I'm going to respond. I'm going to respond. Yeah. And I I guess my obedience before that, where he's like, I don't care about your obedience. It's like, I don't care if you get up and do your quiet time. I don't care if you pray. I don't care if you go to church. I don't care if you go to Bible say, I don't care. All I want you to do is yeah. Come to me. Yeah. I don't care. I don't want any of the outward stuff anymore. Yeah. It's it the doesn't, whole, it doesn't I don't work. need your burnt offering or sacrifices. Right. Right. And like that thing yeah. where um, I want you to desire mercy more than sacrifice mm-hmm. became real to me. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah. I'm yeah. not, he's not looking for my sacrifice. And he was teaching me to have mercy for myself because yeah. my inner voice of living up to what my expectations were for myself. That was destroying me. Right, right. Well, and you're becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. everything you're afraid of... I'm becoming. You're becoming. Yeah, yeah. So everything you're trying to do in your own strength... Yeah. ...is just fulfilling the very thing that you're the most fearful of. And here you are. That thing you're like, Paul says, why do I do the things I don't want to do, but don't do the things I want to do? Yeah. And it's like waging war. Yeah. That's what I was living out inside me. So when God's saying, trust me... Trust who I am. Trust who I say you are. You're not anger. You're love. Partner with love. Now I'm partnering with him. It's not so much. It becomes less about obedience and more about partnering, like walking in the spirit, right? Right. Yeah. So I just started responding to what he was asking me to do. So Brennan would be screaming, 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 screaming. And I'd be kissing him, walking him upstairs. When I started going, I love you so much. I want to spend time with you, but I... I can't spend time with you if you scream, so you got to stop screaming. As soon as you stop screaming, Mommy's going to hang out with you. Yeah. He wants that, Mommy. 
Yeah. He wants to change his behavior for that, Mommy. I'm not demanding his obedience. Right. I'm looking for relationship (laughs) with him. Yeah. He's responding to that like I'm responding to the Father. Now it starts transforming our family. Yeah, that's good. I mean, there's a deep self-hatred that came out in this good girl. And so I started thinking, where is that coming from? Yeah. And that's when I could invite God into that. It's been a long process, like, I still, if the enemy wants to come at me, he's going to sneak in through guilt and shame about me not doing the right thing. Right. At the heart of me, I think that's like a man after God's own heart, right? Like David was a a man after God's own heart. I think I'm a woman after God's own heart because I want to do the right things. I want to be righteous. I want to be good. Those are good things. But what's the the driving force behind it? Yeah. Is it the enemy driving me to try and perform for God so now I can't live up to my own expectations? I yeah. mean, or is it, no, I love you, Father, so much. I just want to be your daughter, yeah. and I want to be good for you. Like, yeah. it comes from a good place. That old Juliana's dead. Yeah. God sees me through the lens of Jesus. Yeah. Not that he doesn't want me to just, you know, I'll do whatever I want. Is inviting you into that transformation. And so... Yeah. But yeah. I can see why people just go back to the behavior modification <laughs> program in Christianity because I think in some weird way it feels easier, but it's really not. Yeah. And it doesn't fulfill us, and it yeah. doesn't make us walk like sons and daughters. I think it's when we're constantly fighting. Are we a Pharisee <laughs> or are we going to walk like Jesus? It's like that constant battle. Easier is probably not the right word, but I think if you just stay in the workspace performance, behavior modification, Christianity, yeah, I can have a scorecard and I can have winners and losers and I can very, and I can self-protect. I don't have to be vulnerable. I just need to check all the boxes, <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Um, and so in some ways it is easier because to go the way of the cross And actually accessing everything that Jesus died for, which is that invitation to go through the veil into the holy presence of God in that place of ultimate safety, but also not safety because now I'm being exposed. Like Mm -hmm. it's it's the most vulnerable of places, but also the most loving of places. Mm -hmm. And it's a scary place. But it's a beautiful place, right. and it's a powerful place, right. and that's the place that brings transformation. Right. It's like for the joy set before him, yeah. he endured the cross. Yeah. That's like the real, and when it's like, pick up your cross daily and follow me, it's like we have to get to the place that we're going to be stripped bare and yeah. hung on the cross. But out of that, I mean, yeah. <laughs> look at what we receive, right? Yeah. And so, um, but I think that, healing and going to those places within us that's scary and as a believer we get to that place where God's inviting us into the garden and when we come out on the other side our journey is going to be difficult but then we're going to rise right (laughs) people get to the garden and it's like yeah I'm going to put down the cup yeah it's It's just scary right yeah and I think Throughout our journey, we're all going to have Garden of Gethsemane moments where we're going to ask him to take the cup. I mean, I was basically doing that in the bathroom yeah. with Brendan, and he's like, no, I'm not going to do it that way. Yeah. You need to lay down your will of yeah. not wanting to be a special needs mom. Yeah. Now, are you going to join me? Are you going to yeah. fight it? Yeah. Eventually, probably would have destroyed my marriage even because 
I was so angry. I just, I was tired and I just wanted to do it God's way at that point. And it was probably came from that obedience, but it was really because he was calling me into love, like he was calling me into love. So life changed around the time he was 10. I mean, it wasn't, it was still hard. I'm not going to lie. And there'd be, there would be times where I'd slip back into old patterns, but overall we had a good family and Logan had a lot of anxiety and going through inner healing, I realized that was the one time I was anxious in my life is why I was pregnant with him. So I, learning through the inner healing journey, and then I started doing um, inner healing ministry with other people, like taking authority, like taking back our authority in Christ to take, like I confessed my sin of anxiety. I confessed um, that I had partnered with anxiety. So I started breaking anxiety off my own kid. Yeah. Because... I was responsible for that because I care when I was carrying him in his womb, I was walking around anxiety ridden. Yeah. So I started recognizing these places. So I, you know, I did a lot of work on behalf of my family too, to try and take back what the enemy had stolen. I was starting to experience the goodness of God and Mm -hmm. seeing all the blessings and seeing the transformation and seeing him show up in the things that we invited him into. I started doing this thing in 2016 where I go, Lord, what's the word you have for me this year? I want to partner with you in that. And for three years in a row, it was like, I want you to learn to rest. And you've known me long enough to know I'm not like, that's not my my jam. Really? <laughs> not my default. I got right, a lot right, of energy. Right, right, you walked yeah. with me recently. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I did. I, the, I like that what you call it? That was walking? Okay, great. <laughs> or torture, <Yeah>. whatever. <laughs> um, so the third year he gave me rest, I defaulted to my old that old nature of I'm letting God down. I'm not mm. learning my lesson. And he's like, I don't want you to learn. It's not a physical rest. You're, you're missing what I have for you. I want you to learn to rest like I do. I want you to be Jesus in the storm. You can take a nap when life is chaos. Mm. It's a spiritual rest. Yeah, and I'm good. giving it to you three times in a row because I want you to be really great at it. Like, yeah, it's good. It's not a failure. Yeah, it's good. So, again, I would, I would have to work through that old nature wanting to come up and go, oh, you're just, you're not getting this, you know? Right. We have this women's retreat meeting at the end of 2018, and I'm sitting there, and they're talking about rest. And, and I've, like, been practicing the presence of God and resting with him for three years. Yeah. So I hear him go, Juliana, are you even going to be open to going? Because I'm sitting there in the ball, right? Yeah. And I had to, like, physically un... And, like, sit up in my chair and put my legs on the floor and be open. And by the end of the meeting, I'm like, shoot, I think I'm going to have to go to this retreat. <laughs> I don't want to go to this retreat. Yeah. And I feel bad because I love all these ladies. They're all my people, so it's, like, so funny that I don't want to I go. know, but I totally understand that. I was the same way. Like, women's ministry, just everything about it was, like... Uh, I just had, I had this image. Now, have grace, people. I was in my 20s um, before I had kids, and I just had this image of women in with scrunchies in their hair, trading recipes and doing dried flower arranging or something. I just, I was like, no. Yeah. And then, and then the Lord in his sense of humor and the way he does, he has me start leading worship in women's ministry. Mm. Like and teaching and all that you, stuff, do, but yeah. Do, and so, do you not know me at all? <laughs> and right? then of course God uses that, yeah, to 
bring a lot of restoration Red- and healing. And, and it's redemption, right? Yeah, it's absolutely. redemption. So I went to that meeting and then Cassie said, I really want you to speak. Would you be willing to speak about finding peace in change? So I'm like, yeah, I'll think about it. Yeah. So I pretty much knew I wasn't going to get out of it unless I was going to just not listen. Yeah. Just being surrendered to God instead yeah. of myself. But I started journaling and journeying back like all God had done in my life through Brendan. Mm-hmm. And Brendan had turned 18 in 2018. So we were moving from raising a special needs child to raising a special needs adult. adult. Yeah. We were getting a conservatorship so I could make decisions for him. See, I was I was in a I was in a season of change of because now it's not natural that I get to make decisions for him. Now I have to I'm stepping into this new role. I'm not just his mother. I'm his advocate. Yeah. So it was difficult like all his doctors were going to start changing. His program at school was, we were starting to have to move. Like he's going to transition out of the school district into like adult transition. So I'm in change and trying to find peace and really sleep like Jesus in this storm of change. So I start looking like all God had done in my life through Brendan. Brendan was why I am the person I am. He's all the best of human nature Mm. because he was so innocent and he didn't, he didn't have all the trappings of the world to steal his identity. He didn't know any better. So here's this 18 year old that he sees something he likes and he's all, (laughs) when he was mad, you knew it. He didn't worry about what the world thought about him. He didn't know to be anything different than who he was, which was the complete opposite of me. So all the best things about me, I learned through my special needs kid and using and letting God show me what a gift he was. Like it became an honor to be his mother rather than I was being punished, right? Yeah. Todd Bradarmel, who's our pastor at Mountain View at the time, released a book called Sustainable Spirituality, and I started doing it. And one of the chapters... Tracy, his wife, had written this story to her younger self. But as I'm processing it with God, he's like, yeah, I don't want you to do that. I want you to work with me and write a letter to yourself for me as your heavenly father. Now, of the Godhead, my biggest breach, my biggest disconnect was with Father God. Mm-hmm. Father God was a little scary. Yeah. He was distant. Yeah. Jesus and Holy Spirit, I was totally comfortable with. But Father God, I couldn't quite find that connection with him yeah so I start looking back preparing for this women's retreat that I'm going to speak at and on February 24th I finished this letter to myself from Father God I mean where I was partnering with him I do it during my quiet time and he would write and so I composed this letter like to my daughter Juliana yeah he wrote all of these things and he signed it to my beloved daughter from your heavenly father yeah and that, I finished that on February 24th. So on February 28th, Brendan stayed home from school sick on February 27th. He seemed like he had a stomach bug. And he had been had the stomach bug all of December. But he took forever to get well. And so that day when he woke up sick again, I was just like, we cannot shake this stomach bug. I thought, I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to just let him sleep. Maybe he'll get better faster. So I just left him in his room and I kept going in and checking on him. And so about midnight, so it was now it's February 28th on midnight, 
I go in to check him, and he looked like he was sleeping, and I went back, and then I heard thump, and he had fallen out of bed. And so I ran in his room, and I picked him up and put him back in bed, and he was just, I knew instinctually, like, something's wrong. So Dave came in, and I'm like, call 911. And he's like, what? Like, he's he just has a flu. And I go, call 911. Yeah. There was just something not right. Yeah. So the paramedics got there and they put his IV, put an IV in him, and he didn't even respond. And I'm like, "This is not my kid. Like something's wrong." So we took him to Mission Hospital. So once we got there, he started having a seizure. So they gave him some anti-convulsion medicine called Keppra. His heart rate was like over a hundred. Like it was like 120 at one point. So I'm like, "Dave, go get the doctor. I don't think he. I think he's still seizing." So they came back in to give him some more medicine. And I just happened to pull back the blanket, and his arm was, like, all molted. Like, he was having an allergic reaction. And so they gave him some Benadryl. So his heart rate was still really high, and I just remember thinking, it can't be good for him that his heart's so high, and he's so lethargic. I start seeing his oxygen levels. They're, like, 99, 98, 97, 96. Like, they're dropping rapidly. So Dave ran out and got the doctor again, and they came in, and they put us outside the room, and they... They started to intubate him. That's when they put that tube down your throat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I knew instinctually, like something's really wrong. And then they got him stable enough to take him to get a CAT scan. Then when they came out, they said he had a what's called a stratovalve shunt in his brain. Hydrocephalus is you accumulate too much water on your brain. So that's what Brendan was born with. So they did brain surgery when he was four, four months old and put this stratovalve which they could adjust the pressure to take the, the um, fluid off of his brain. And it was all under his skin, so it wasn't something you saw. But that had failed. So he had too much fluid in his brain again, so he's had so much pressure in his brain. That's why he was so lethargic and he was throwing up. He wasn't sick. He was responding oh, to that wow. pressure. So he had his shunt put in at four months old. He's one month away from being 19. He's never had a shunt failure. So he has his first shunt failure. So I'm like... Oh, okay. This, I've never seen this before. We've never been through this before. So I called my mom at that point, and I'm crying. And I'm like, can you just pray? He just looks horrible. They finally bring him out, and we're in a room, and the nurse comes in and says, we're going to airlift him to chalk. I was going to go in the helicopter, but they needed, like, a a neurological nurse. They needed a cardiac nurse because his blood pressure wasn't right. So there's not enough room for me. So they... Send Dave and I ahead to chalk, and they're like, it's going to take a while because the helicopter has to get here. We have to get them all stable. We have to get them on. We have to get all the equipment. So you guys just go ahead and go. It's going to feel like forever. So we're sitting in the lobby of chalk waiting for our kid, and we hear, like you hear the helicopter, and they're like, wakelings. And so we're like, get up, and we get into the um, back into like the ER part, and Brendan's neurosurgeon meets us back there. We're signing paperwork for him to have surgery, walking down the hall with him towards the OR. But Dr. Mahone is like, oh, he's in shunt failure. You've just never seen this before. He goes, my only concern is he had that seizure that's abnormal during shunt failure. So we're like, okay, okay. Just to back up a little bit. On the way from Mission Hospital to Chalk, we were in the car. I said to Dave, I think we need to be prepared for the worst. When he when I said we got to be prepared for the worst, it never dawned on Dave Death. that maybe he wouldn't yeah. wake up. So when Dr. Mahonen came out, that's his neurosurgeon, we were in the waiting room, and he said, 
Um, the, the surgery went really well. There was a lot of pressure on the brain. Um, it was, you know, critical that we got that done. Like he didn't have any more seizures or anything. And so he's like, but I just, I want you guys to be prepared that he might not wake up. And we're like, what? So I said, are you really concerned? Like, did you see anything? And he's like, I just want you to be prepared. You're going to, you could have anything from not wake up till he'll wake up and be exactly who he was before this. And Dave's like, my husband's like coming apart. And he's like, I don't know what you mean. And Dr. Mahonan says, Dave, I don't think I'm telling you anything you haven't heard before. And I'm thinking in my head, you may have told him, but he's never heard it. So they took Brendan up to intensive care, and we got up there, and we were met by a critical care doctor. So we walked into that room, and his eyes are taped shut. He's got a vent in his head. His head's shaved. His head's bandaged. It's like you barely recognize your kid, and my husband just is fell apart. Yeah. When I saw Dave, I thought, if this kid doesn't wake up, my hu- I don't know if my husband's going to recover from this. By that evening, he was not responding at all. They started to get very concerned, and they said, if, he, if we don't have any response by the morning, it's not good. Yeah. So um, we went to bed that night. We shared a cushion in the window seat. <laughs> I got up in the middle of the night, and my husband was sleeping. I was safe that I wasn't going to destroy him. And just fell apart. Yeah. Fell apart to God. Like, are you going to take my kid? Like, after everything we've been through, are you going to take my kid? It was just so painful. And and my whole life revolved around him. You know, here he's 18 now, and we're moving into this new journey that I was so afraid of. But I'm like, I don't care. I just want him here. And um, I ended up writing Brendan a letter (laughs) because his life... I spent the night before his birth and the night before I found realized he had died in a hospital, praying for him, begging God for a different answer than I thought I was going to get. Because I knew Brennan had hydrocephalus when I was pregnant, and I was in the hospital the night before. I had complications with my pregnancy, so I was in the hospital the night before he was born praying, like, please don't let him need this surgery. Please don't let me have a special needs kid. And now I'm praying, please just save my special needs kid. So I just wrote Brendan this letter and poured out our life together in words. And then I finally fell back to sleep. In the morning, I got up and asked the nurse, I'm like, have you given him any pain medicine since he had his surgery? And she went, and I knew. I just knew. And so I went and got cleaned up in the bathroom. And then when I came back, Dave was awake and we just had this conversation. And he's like, I don't feel him here. And I'm Mm. like, I don't either. And he's like, we saw him die at mission, didn't we? And I said, yeah, I think so. (laughs) So we just, you know, processed that together. They came in that day and they said, um, we have to get him stable. His vitals aren't stable enough, but once we get them stable, we need to do a brain assessment, brain death assessment test, and if that comes back positive, we'll have to wait 12 hours, and then we'll do it again, but we think he's passed. Wow. So we were like, okay. I'm just exhausted, and my husband's a mess, and 
we're reaching out at this point to friends at church and um and um i go down to the lobby to get a coffee and it's just (laughs) mountain view people yeah (laughs) right there's probably 20 25 people just sitting Mm. down in the lobby it's during Mm. cold and flu season i mean this pre-COVID so yeah they still had those protocols that nobody could go up in the room right. during cold and flu season except the parents yeah. so they can't even see us and they're just down in the lobby yeah. and so we I would take little breaks during the day to just get out of the room and go down there and their brick was there and Lisa and Jean and Karen and all these people from yeah. church are there and um and so that night, my at this point, my sister's in, my mom's in, my sister uh, that lives here is at the hospital, and they're all waiting, and I just want everyone to go home because I just want to be alone with Brendan and Dave and process. Like, I don't, I'm pretty sure my kid's dead. Yeah. They can't do the test, but I just, I'm, like, exhausted. And so I finally... <laughs> This is so uncharacteristic of me. I'm like, everyone has to go home. <laughs> you need to leave. <laughs> and my mom's like, what? And I'm, I don't want to do this test with anyone there. Yeah. I want privacy. And everyone's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they get up and, you know, leave. And the doctor that had been working with us came in early so he could do brain Brendan's brain assessment test and it's horrible to watch they like put a q-tip on their eye and they you know do all these things for reflexes to see if they respond and he didn't so I was just sitting at his feet crying on his feet and they are like yeah he it's it's positive but they can't declare him dead at that point because it has to be 12 hours and another doctor has to do the test they can't even have the same doctor because they don't want that doctor assuming he's dead and missing a reaction right right so we have to spend another whole day (laughs) in the hospital and at this point we know he's probably not going to wake up so we ask the hospital like can people come say goodbye yeah and so um lisa crater and gene swanberg set up this like basically like check-in down in the lobby people would come and check in only four people could come at it up at a time they would text us who was coming up so Dave and I would know who was coming up before they got there if it was someone that we thought we would fall apart and we weren't in the space we could go into this little room and and then Lisa would come up and escort them into Brendan's room so like a hundred people friends family church went through that day so like we gave them a four-hour period of time and so Dave and I sat down that night after everyone left and we're like okay we can't do this we can't do this if we're not together and we're gonna have to make some really hard choices the next couple days how are we gonna do this and he's like I just want us to agree on everything I go okay let's pray so God said if you agree and it puts salve on your heart if it puts ointment on your heart if it feels good move forward if you start to make a decision and you're not in agreement and it hurts your heart, stop. So that night, again, I just can't sleep. I get up, spend, I just would lay <laughs> in a ball and hold Brendan's feet and rub his feet and just want to touch him because I don't know what the future holds at this point. I'm just like, God, why? I don't understand your ways. And he said, it was an unfortunate series of events and I need you to trust me. 
I'm like, why did you have me do all that work for that retreat? And I'm not even going to go. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I was preparing you. And you know how I've been with you through it all. And I need you to trust me again. And he goes, beloved, I too know what it likes, feels like to lose my son. And I didn't realize the impact of him asking me to write that letter to myself as my heavenly father. I didn't realize how important him healing that breach, which he needed me to do for that dumb retreat that I never even went. That's how much he knew what I would need. Yeah. If I can see it, if I'll pause and look at what God prepared me for. Yeah. Um, So I started reading that letter back to myself. But Jesus couldn't have told me that. Yeah. Holy Spirit couldn't have spoken in that to that for me. Only Father God, who gave his only son for us, could speak that to me. So there's just this trust there that I've never had before. It was supernatural. No mother. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can carry that. Right. And our nurse ended up being a Christian. Mm -hmm. And a friend of mine came to visit, and she happened to be in that nurse's home group at Shoreline Mm -hmm. Church. And just like you started seeing God just do all those things. And so the next morning on Sunday morning, at this point, we've been in the hospital for four days. They did the second brain assessment test and they declared him dead. It was horrible. But my kid, he was still warm and smelled good. I could kiss him. And it was just like, you know, it's just so awful. They started talking to us about, would we consider Brendan being an organ donor? They, we said, we'll talk to someone. So there was an organization called One Legacy, and um, they um, took us in a conference room. And so we just took our older sisters. We said, okay, what did God tell us? So she presents to us this organ donation. Yeah. He, she's like, why don't I give you some time? And he's like, I don't need time. I'm ready. And he goes, it puts Sav on my heart. Mm-hmm. I'm ready. So I said, okay, Deb, it puts Sav on my heart. Kathy, it puts Sav on my heart. So they got to me. I'm like, it puts Sav on my heart. So we talk about the organs, and then she starts talking about, like, corneas and tissue. And we're all like, (gasps) Uh, and Deb's like, I'm in pain. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. I'm in pain. We're like, okay, we'll do the organs. That's all we can do. I go, I'm sorry, I can't think. You're taking me to places my mind can't handle the pain. Yeah. I can't think that far. She's like, okay, okay. So we move forward with this. It's, he's declared dead. We're going to do an organ donor. So they switch all of his care from hospital to the organ donation. And they have to find recipients. Right. So we ended up being in the hospital Sunday night, oh, Monday, gosh. Tuesday. But I have a 14-year-old who yeah. has traumatized. We end up having friends and family from church take turns whenever we weren't there because we were checking in on Logan. Somebody was always with Brendan. And I just had no idea what a gift it would be to other people to have time with him like that. I found out just recently that our good friend Alicia, who's also our chiropractor, she actually is the one that got Brendan to walk. She read him all his favorite books when she stayed with him. So he ended up being an organ donor. So again, I had that last night I knew he was, they were going to find his recipients the next morning. I didn't sleep. I was up with God, and he said, like my son, he's, in his death, I'm going to save lives. 
he had the potential to save seven families from going through this pain. It ended up his lungs had been damaged from the um, the ventilator, and his pancreas had been damaged, but he was able to give his heart, his kidneys, and his liver. There was a 40-year-old man that got his liver, but all the other organs were 20 years old and younger. So another family didn't have to lose their kid. Yeah. There was some, like, collateral beauty through it all. Yeah. Because it was like this devastating thing, but seeing how our church like came and just took us in and took care of us and how people came for hours and yeah. loved on our kid and how people were willing to sacrifice their time to stay in a hospital with someone that wasn't really alive, but they just wanted to be with him. Yeah. That other people through our tragedy were going to get an answer to prayer. It's yeah. like there's all this collateral beauty. Yeah. If you're willing to see it. Yeah. And see God's hand in it and I was going to have to go through that whether I ran to God <laughs> or ran from God. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. So I just ran to him. Yeah. I'd done the running from him before. It doesn't it doesn't make it better. I could have been mad at God. Yeah. I just had this thing like when I could look back and see how he prepared me. He loves me more than I know. It doesn't mean I don't falter. There's times where I'm mad at the world that I've had to walk this. But when I look back, if I remember all he did beforehand to prepare me and care for me, it's like that's what this is all about, how much your father loves you. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. And then I've seen the photo. Yeah. Of Brandon, what do they call it? The, the honor walk. The honor yeah. walk yeah. on his way to... Yeah. They do this crazy thing where they make an announcement. There's a hero hmm. <laughs> being escorted to the ER. Like All medical personnel, please report to the halls. I think there was 20 of our like family and closest friends. They let be at the very end of that hmm. hallway before we went into the OR. The hospital basically said, we've never seen the likes of you before. (laughs) We're going to break all the rules. Yeah. So they made a way for everyone that had come that wanted to come. After we said goodbye, um, they escorted us to an elevator. And when we came down the elevator, when the doors opened, the entire lobby of Chalk Hospital was aligned with our church and family and friends. Wow. And so it was this whole ceremony, but usually only the parent and the siblings are allowed. Yeah. <laughs> it was over 80 people wow. at the hospital until like 2 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> it was emotional. I was a, I was a wreck and, and not. It was, I mean, it was surreal. It was like yeah. an out-of-body experience. I can't yeah. even like put it into words. So Yeah. Yeah. That all leaves a mark. Oh, yeah. And... It changes your faith. Like, mm-hmm. it, it forms your faith. Right. Because you are dealing with the weight of such an extreme loss. And yet, in the midst of that loss, the demonstration of God's intimate love and care for you in the middle of it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. How are you? 
I'm not going to say it hasn't been horrific. It is. I mean, we're not meant for death. We we're meant for the garden, <laughs> and that's just like our instinctual spirit in us in us knows this is wrong. And I know Brendan's great. I mean, yeah. Brendan's in heaven. He yeah. is in his glorified body. He's probably having the time of his life. It's like every parent's worst nightmare, and you survive. There's yeah. times when you don't want to, but God's given me glimpses of Brendan in heaven so full of joy with Jesus. And when I cling to those, it's it's well with my soul. I don't always understand it. I have faltered in my faith. I went through a really dark time during COVID where I just thought, what's the point to follow Jesus if it doesn't protect you from the hardships of life? Yeah. What's the point? I'm going to praise you, Lord. That practiced obedience does sometimes <laughs> rise up in you. Like, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. Yeah. I don't want to do this. I hate this plan. <laughs> I hate the, your ways. Yeah. They seem, they suck. <laughs> yeah. I'm choosing to praise you out of pure obedience because I believe you are a good guy, even though nothing in this situation shows me that. Yeah. I'm choosing to praise you. There is a form of worship that you experience there that you can't experience when life is good. Do you want the faith that you get on your knees? You, you rely on nothing but God and get on your knees anytime you need it. And you just have trust him so much. You'll just get on your knees, not worry what's in your bank account, not worry what tomorrow brings. Do you want that faith? Yeah. Do you want it? Do you want to need it? Yeah. 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 Right. right? right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I want to have that kind of faith. I don't want to be in a position that that's all I've got. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's scary yeah. and it's messy and it's vulnerable. So it's well with my soul, but it has been, it's been hard. Who does it hurt when you don't trust me? Does it hurt me? I hmm. love you no matter what. Does it hurt me? Yeah. No. Does it hurt you? Does your heart hurt more? Yes, Lord. Okay. Don't do that. Lean not on your own understanding. Will you will you sacrifice your understanding and trust me? Now, acknowledge me in all your ways. Acknowledge me in your cussing problem. Acknowledge me in your anger. <laughs> acknowledge me in your rage. Yeah. Acknowledge me in that you hate my plan. Yeah. I'm not, I'm big enough to take it. Yeah, it's good. Throw it at me. Yeah, it's good. And then I will keep your path straight. You don't have to try and keep yourself on the straight and narrow. You're not going to be able to do it. <laughs> but when you acknowledge me and everything, now yeah. you're not running from me. You're running to so me. Good. Just throw it at me, darling. I can yeah. take it. Yeah. I'll keep your past straight. And then it's not that behavior, like trying to say all the right things to people or hiding your grief. It's just yeah. like, I'm a big freaking mess. I have a cussing. I had a terrible cussing problem. I had all this rage. I wanted to tell people to go pound sand. <laughs> And I'm just real with him. Like, hey, it's not pretty. Do you want to see? Yeah. But that's how real I was with people. Just like, it's bleh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm as good as you can be when you lose your kid. Is that this is the reality of what Jesus came for. Mm -hmm. The behavior modification workspace performance-driven pharisaical religion mm -hmm. leads to death mm -hmm. of spirit, yeah. <laughs> soul, right? It's a facade. What happens, and I think we're dealing with it in the like evangelical church 
of the last few years. There's this grand exodus from quote unquote Christianity Mm -hmm. because of that, because the counterfeit doesn't meet you in the deepest, darkest, ugliest, most horrific of places, Mm -hmm. but Jesus, God, the father, Holy spirit will Mm -hmm. the counterfeit. It has the appearance of a foundation, Mm -hmm. but any weight on it and it just crumbles and mm-hmm. it's really just it's quicksand underneath right, right? and right and i love that you say it as well with my soul because that that's the the person who wrote that song you know he mm-hmm. wrote that after his wife and children had died mm-hmm. and he was on a ship on the way to america and he was standing there about you know right and that's when he penned that mm-hmm. that right that verse and so it's no joke. Right. It's no joke. And it's like, there's a, there is this place kind of in our faith where the rubber has to meet the road. Yeah. And it's like, if Jesus is who he says he is, if I truly believe who he says he is, mm. Brendan's great. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll see him again. Yeah. I, th- I believe Mary grieved yes. the loss of her son. Yeah. She also had the joy of knowing yeah. He saved the world, right? Yeah. So I can grieve the loss of Brendan. I can I don't have to be like put on my good Christian, you know, <laughs> yeah. mask. Oh, God has a plan. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Brendan's in a better place. It's like, no, I want my kid. Yeah. I want him here. Yeah. But God's asked me to trust him. Yeah. And I'm choosing to trust him. That's good. I'm choosing to believe he's good, but I'm not going to be phony about it and act like this isn't the worst thing that's ever happened to me. It is. God knows it. He's experienced it. Yeah. But if Jesus is too, he says he is. It's a temporal thing. And that's why I think his word encourages us not to focus on the seeing things that are temporal. Because if I focus on my loss, it's going to, it's going to destroy me. Yeah. But if I focus on the eternal truth, the unseen things that every once in a while when we're at worship, he'll pull back the curtain of heaven and show Brendan worshiping mm. with him. Yeah. Jesus is good. I have to find joy in this suffering. Well, um, thank you yeah. for just being real and yeah. for sharing with so much transparency your journey because I think... There's someone who's going to listen that this is going to give them permission mm-hmm. to not be okay mm-hmm. and to know that there's safety for them not to be okay and mm-hmm. that Jesus can take all of it mm-hmm. and meet them in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And it may even give someone eyes to see like kind of the scales to fall and mm-hmm. for them to actually see God's care Mm-hmm. through the storm mm-hmm. and through the process and through the ugly, mm-hmm. right? You know, yeah. those, those moments mm-hmm. where he's been present and faithful and actually carrying and holding and providing. Well, before we go, I just want to take a moment and maybe you are in a place of grief, of grieving right now. And you just don't know how to trust God in the middle of your grief. I've been there. (laughs) More recent than you could imagine. 
And I just want you to know that you are seen and you are known and you are so deeply loved and held and covered. And I want you to know, despite what the enemy might be trying to tell you, is that uh, Jesus can take all of your anger, your hurt, your pain, your tears, your cussing problem, (laughs) whatever it is, um, however that pain has been seeping out, um, there's nothing you can do or say or ways you can react that would uh, bar you from his presence or hide you from his love. And while it may be confusing and frustrating and um, hard to understand why, why you have to walk through what you're walking through, why you have to suffer the loss or the pain or the trauma that you have experienced. We have a God who is acquainted with suffering. And Jesus was a man of sorrow who took on all of the pain and all of the sin and all of the brokenness so that we could receive his presence and his healing and his love. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for your tangible presence to cover and guard and hold your kids. I just bind the lives of the enemy in Jesus' name. The temptation to isolate the questions of doubt and mistrust that are spoken in the dark places. And Father, would you bring the light of your loving presence into every corner. I pray for healing. I pray for community. I pray for hope. And I thank you that you are a redeemer. And although the path may be painful, that there is hope and light on the other side. So do what only you can do. And we ask all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Sacred Space Podcast. And if you want to make a donation, you can click the donate button in the episode notes or go to GinaStockton.com and go to the donate button in the top right hand corner. Uh, You know, we have some plans for Dwell Volume 2 and all of that uh, really requires partners to invest. Um, So if you feel so inclined Uh, We would be humbled by your partnership for the production of this podcast and other projects that we do. 
And if you haven't already, would you consider rate and reviewing us in whatever podcast app you're listening to us in? That helps people to hear about us. And finally, just share it. If this uh, episode or others have been encouraging to you, tell your friends, share it, put it on social media. All of those are ways to spread the word and just bring more hope and encouragement and healing to people. I hope you have an amazing week that you know that wherever you are, at the top of the mountain or in the deepest valley, God is with you, that you are seen, that you are known, and that you are loved. Have a great week. We'll see you next time in the sacred space.